it is good to be here. Um, a little bit nerve-wracking to be here, to be honest with you, because I know a few of you by face, but I forget names really easily. And so um, my wife's name is Elizabeth. I actually introduced her once by her maiden name, just to prove to you. A little bit of bio as Harlan gets the black screen up. Grew up in southwest Minnesota, a farming community. <clears throat> my dad was a mailman, so I've always said I was an MK as well. <laughs> ba bum bum. Um, was an electrician. I went to vocational school, out of high school, worked three years in apprenticeship program, got my first license as an electrician, put the tool belt down, went to college, and onward and upward. Um, the reason I bring that up is we're going to be talking about <clears throat> some of what you're doing in missions, not what I'm doing in missions. And I found now that I've been involved in, we were in a church once and I had to lay pastor because the pastor died. The closest church on the creek in Harlan County, Kentucky was a snake handling church and we didn't feel we could let this little church's doors close. As a matter of fact, one of the ladies in our church, one of her relatives had died being snake bit in that church <clears throat> because the pastor wouldn't take his wife to the hospital when she got bit. Um, Elizabeth and I met at a mission in Kentucky we married, moved back to that mission several years later after the lay pastoring experience. Um, I say all that to say that some of what I'm going to be saying today is identical to the same conditions that we saw in Appalachia. Absolutely identical. And as we open God's word today, the reason it's identical is the human condition. It has nothing to do with race. It really has nothing to do with culture. It has nothing to do with how rich or poor you are, although that does contribute to some of our actions. It is the human condition, and that's why missions has to confront, and we have to be confronted with who is this Jesus? Because missions without Jesus is like a day without sunshine. That's an old, old one. It's fruitless. Jesus said a cup of cold water given, finish that for me. In my name. Therefore, if his name is not named, it is only a cup of cold water. I like water. So does everybody else that needs a drink. But this does not transform my life for eternity. It keeps me going for a little bit longer, but it does not transform my life for eternity. And that's what I would like us to grapple with today, is who is this Jesus? And is it legitimate that we do missions? <clears throat> I certainly hope so. My wife and I have been doing missions since we met in 1981. So that's our life. But you know, it's no different than when I was an electrician. Okay, Harlan, let's go to the first slide. 
So who is this Jesus? I'm going to leave that slide up and I'm going to say a prayer. Father, as we open your word to grapple with missions in our imperfection, in our sin, in our redeemedness, show us again who your son is. Renew our hearts. Forgive us where we failed, where we've been ill with people, where we have not been nice, where we've kept our mouth shut when we should have opened it, where we've opened it when we should have closed it. Lord, show us Jesus again in a fresh, new way. Fill us with your Holy Spirit. May my words be your words and not for me. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen. I'm really bad at following my notes, so I finally made, this was, this is actually the mission message that we brought on our last furlough or deputation or whatever you want to call it, but my goal today is twofold. First goal is that God is glorified, not me, not you, not Harlan, not Justin, not William, our families not the pastor. Truly that God is glorified. If God is not glorified, let's just get to the potluck. We might as well just eat because it's worthless. And the second, the second is that we really do know better who Jesus is. Now this passage is really interesting to me because as I've had the pleasure of teaching the Bible, adult Sunday school, Elizabeth and I attend Kenai Bible, and I've been teaching adult Sunday school there for a few years, is I am more and more captivated by the, do you mind, I tend to wander, and I know I will knock this over, and that will be rather embarrassing. There we go. I'm more and more captivated by the way Jesus finds or found verses in the Old Testament and applied them to himself. Of course, he wrote it, so I guess he could do that. (laughs) A little bit easier understanding there. But Jesus quoted this one, the spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the afflicted. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to prisoners to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them beauty instead of ashes. Now, I read too much. If you have a Bible, turn with me to Luke. Harlan, you can go to the next slide. Luke chapter 4. And starting here at verse 16, and he came to Nazareth. Jesus shows up. Where was that hometown? It's hard to preach in your own hometown. Everybody remembered you when you were a little brat. (laughs) I go back to Chandler, Minnesota, and oh boy, all bets are off. My buddies are still there. They, they, They know who I am. Where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he entered the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read. Who is this Jesus? Keep asking yourself this question. And the book of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. 
And he opened the book, now here's really interesting, and he found the place where it was written. This was not a random event. Jesus, oh, Isaiah, I get to read Isaiah. He went through the scroll almost to the end to find this particular passage. He had a point to make, and it's a huge point. And notice, he read exactly what I read, except he stopped to pro- at verse 19 to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord, and he closed the book. And he gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed upon him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. These are good churchgoers. They go to the synagogue every week. They know the book of Isaiah. And Jesus has said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. Who is this Jesus? Was he insane? What an incredible, bold statement for Jesus to say, this is fulfilled. If you've read Isaiah, and that's why I am getting more and more into the Old Testament, finding the prophecies that Jesus fulfilled and understanding what he was saying here, the rest of Isaiah chapter 61 talks about the bringing back of the covenant family to the land of Israel and them being blessed by the Lord. And verse 10 of chapter 61 says, I will rejoice greatly in the Lord for my soul will exalt in God for he has clothed me with garments of salvation. He has wrapped me with a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, as as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. It occurred to me that when Jesus said, today this has been fulfilled in your hearing, he wasn't talking about only about the verses he read. They knew the context. They knew the chapter. The scribes were there. They understood, as I think I have overlooked all my life, is that Jesus was saying this whole passage is fulfilled in me. And notice he sat down. It has such huge significance. Who is this Jesus? Is he standing up in heaven Or is he sitting down? He will stand up when he comes back for us. But it says that he sat down at the Father's right hand. The significance is, is that this Jesus, who claimed that this passage is fulfilled, sat down, meaning it is done. No more action to do. It is done. One of the things, back up to the previous slide, please, that really fascinated us, I was looking at who is this Jesus and how does that impact us in missions? Because he stopped and he did not say to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God. Because John 3.17 says that's not his job, at least not yet. John 3.17 says, whoever does not believe is condemned already, but he came 
not that we should be condemned. And I'm transposing it very badly. To comfort all who mourn, and this is the point that really struck me, to grant those who mourn in Zion, giving them, now one translation says a garland, this one says beauty instead of ashes. So for Jesus to come to these Jews in this synagogue to say this has been fulfilled, what was, this, what was the context? <clears throat> what was the social economic context going on to these people? Let's go two slides down. These people were reliving what the people in Isaiah were living. You understand, they didn't have their own government authority. They had a government authority, but the Romans ruled them. When Isaiah brought this passage to them, they were overrun. Israel was in the throes of being destroyed. Husbands and, and sons were going into battle and being killed. Wives and young women were being ravished. The economy was destroyed. The crops were burned. They had no control over their life. And so for Jesus to say that that is what happened, and then to come to the synagogue, his hometown, and say, I fulfilled it, was just absolutely incredible. What was the situation? Why were they overrun? Drop one more slide, Harlan. I think I got them out of order. <clears throat> because in Isaiah chapter 1, this was God's treatise to the nation of Israel. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are as scarlet, they will be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they will be like wool. If you consent and obey. You will eat the best of the land, but if you refuse, if you rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. Truly, the mouth of the Lord has spoken it. By the time chapter 61, let's go back up the slide previous. By the time chapter 61 happened, chapter 1 was long gone and the people had refused. Why had the people refused? Because these were their gods the God of money and greed. God so destroyed their economy so they could no longer rely. You understand Israel was on a trade route. If any of you have studied the old stuff, uh, Egypt to Phoenicia, up to Syria, to Assyria, trade route, boom. Hey, let's stay at Motel 6 right there in Bethlehem. They made money off of the national, the international trade. They imported silks. God called them cows of Bashan. They were so rich and they were so into money. All through Isaiah, he talks and condemns their greed. Does that sound a little familiar? The God of child sacrifice for their survival. Just outside of the city walls of Jerusalem, there's a valley called Topeth. And that's where the Baals and the Asherim were. That's where to have a good crop this year, honey, let's get you pregnant. Let's give birth to the baby and let's burn it alive.
the God of other religions from other nations. God condemned them. There were, there were shrines all around Jerusalem, all around Samaria, all around Judah and Israel. They were syncretistic many ways to, to God. There's many gods. But they still kept coming back to the temple. They put it all together. The God of sex outside of an Adam and Eve marriage, some of their religion was sexual in nature, and it was a good excuse to go do that. The God of alcohol, they were drunk. Proverbs talks so much about it, and they were warned about it. And this one I should have put on top because this is the one that makes all the other ones happen, the God of self. So when Jesus said, today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, this is the same thing that happened under the Roman rule as underneath the rule during the reign of Hezekiah and other kings. And Jesus said, I've proclaimed that I am the one here that will do the end of chapter 61 giving them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting, the planting of the Lord that he may be glorified. Let's go to the next slide. And one more. So this is what Jesus was claiming to be. He was claiming to be the I am who gave sight to the blind. He was claiming to be the I am who frees the captives and the oppressed. No wonder they were astounded with Rome ruling. He was claiming to be the I am who proclaimed the good news to the poor. Even John the Baptist said, wait a minute, I, are, do, are we supposed to look for another? Jesus said, I am who is anointed by God. And the next slide says, giving them beauty instead of ashes the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a spirit of fainting. That's why the title of the message is, is Who is this Jesus? I think we as Christians have to be confronted every once in a while in our faith and say, do we still believe this? I will honestly tell you that Elizabeth and I have gone through huge cycles of saying, should we quit? Is it worth it? Is following this Jesus worth it? Especially when you're in full-time ministry and the people you love don't change. You yourself don't feel very successful in your walk with the Lord. We have to come back and be confronted with this Jesus and say, yes, he is this. He is the one. He is the one that changes lives and has done so for 2,000 years. If he is who he says he is, then we are compelled as Christians to do missions. If we go to the Great Commission, he gave us the mandate to go to Jerusalem, Samaria, and where? the ends of the earth. So Soldat and the Kenai are our Jerusalem, aren't they? Very much so. Where's Samaria? Homer? 
Anchorage? I don't know. Ends of the earth? Gamble? Why do you do missions here? Do you see a need? Go to the next slide, Harlan. <clears throat> this is why MARC does missions here. This is why we do missions in Alaska. Because there's ashes. And by that I mean there's difficulties, there's problems, there's things that only Jesus can answer. First of all, look at the size of our wonderful state. As we are driving out on Sport Lake Road, boom, there's readout. I mean, so stinking beautiful. How many saw a readout this morning? A few of you did. Did you praise God for that? Isn't it amazing? We forget. Okay, I grew up in southwest Minnesota, almost like Iowa. Corn and soybeans. That's amazing. That's amazing. But look how big this place is. 1,100 miles Barrow to Juneau. Do you know that we have more coastline in Alaska than the lower 48 does? Do you know that if you take the landmass of Alaska and cut it in half, Texas would be the third largest state in the nation? I love to tell Texans that. Do you know that the brown area is how huge this place is? So size is huge when you have over 200 villages not on the road system. Let's go to the next slide. Oh, and here's our road system. <laughs> Woo! But it takes 10 hours to drive to Fairbanks. Yeah, our road system fits in the state of Vermont. Over 200 villages, isolated, a long ways apart. It works in the summertime, you can take a boat to most of them. Wintertime, take a snow machine, if you like 30 below and 150 miles to go. But for us to get there, it doesn't work so well. Next slide. Here are the real ashes. Distance, isolation, suicide. Alaska has the highest rate of suicide in the nation. Second. Only, I mean, second to that are the reservations in South Dakota. Alaska has some of the highest rate of alcoholism in the nation. Alaska has some of the highest rates of child abuse in the nation. Actually, we do. Spousal abuse, poverty, when I say there are similarities, Elizabeth and I worked in Jackson County, Kentucky, all road system. The second worst school system in the nation back when we were there. The second poorest county in the nation back when we were there. The similarities are just so amazing what happens when you have similar conditions. And what we saw down there and what I see here is what I call third and fourth generation welfare where we don't teach and enable to get off welfare. We keep people enslaved on welfare because it takes away self-determination. It takes away 
and I, I use the word self very carefully here because I, oh, I'm self-determining. No, I'm not saying that. But a little bit of self-pride is a good thing. And we saw the same thing from Appalachia all the way to Alaska. It's, it is truly a sin issue. That's why missions. Let's go to the next slide. Mark is not the answer for all of this. Jesus is. Mark was founded in 1964 to help with this, to bring Jesus and the Word of God around Alaska. But quite frankly, most of us at MARC are basket handlers, as most of you probably are. I don't know, Pastor, how many straight-out evangelists do you have in your church? Can you name more than one? I have not found many true evangelists in our churches here on the, on the Kenai. I just haven't. God doesn't gift a lot of evangelists, but he doesn't ever say, I'm not supposed to plant seed. Scripture says that God gives the increase. Not pastor, not me, not pastor's mom. God gives the increase. We have to plant the seeds. So us basket handlers provide tr flight transportation for pastors and missionaries. That's a real privilege. Aircraft repair for missionaries. Harlan, how many did we do last year? Did the shop do? 15 different events for different pastors and missions to help get their airplanes into airworthy condition. Logistics, freight. Man, if you saw, especially in the, in the spring, running in the summer, the warehouse fill up with two-by-fours, four-wheelers, um, the occasional snow machine in the winter, uh, mattresses, it gets put in there, especially food for the Bible camps. Most of us know Tenalian. We have the pleasure of hauling a lot of their food over, and it's just a joy. Don't get to eat much of it, but we do get to haul it. Um, our staff also gets to help with Bible camps. And that's a real privilege to, for our staff to spend a week instead of being at the hangar to go out and um, either be the camp nurse or the dad watching the kids for the camp nurse to be the camp nurse or actually working directly in the camps. Uh, we get to do that. Woodcutting trips. Uh, some of the missions out west have big wood boilers and we occasionally get to go help with that. Vehicle repair. Housing, building, and repair. Um, you go as a pilot, but you better be ready to go help with something else when you get there. Speaking and music. Um, <laughs> I had the odd, although humbling, experience of getting to be called up once. It was a youth event on the Norton Sound, and one of their speakers got sick and... Curtis, who was in charge of the event, said, Brian, I need you to come up and share. The speaker, one of the speakers is sick. So you never know what you get to do. Bible studies. So that's what Mark does. Let's go to the next slide. But this is the verse that I want to end on. Let's go to Romans chapter 10. Because again, that cup of cold water, that building, that vehicle repaired, um, the carpet that Harlan's laid down all over, especially Galena after that church got flooded. Um, 
the windshield that has been put in in a pickup out in Unilacleet by another staff member. Uh, I think a couple of our staff members just helped put windows in in Dillingham last weekend. But this verse, this is, who is this Jesus? God's word says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you, you will be saved. For with the heart a person believes, resulting in righteousness, and with the mouth he confesses, resulting in salvation. There's the core. The human condition I mentioned earlier is the same across the world. For in sin did my mother conceive me. We're all born sinners. We all need this salvation. But I love the last part of this, especially in those days that I get discouraged, that I go, Lord, is it worth it? He says, for the scripture says, whoever believes in him will not be disappointed. That one you can take to the bank. Do you believe in him? Maybe there's somebody here today that has some ashes in their life. And you don't, you don't have to be a non-Christian to have ashes in your life. Maybe your spouse left. Maybe your girlfriend dumped you. Maybe she needed to. <laughs> Maybe a spouse has cancer or you just found out and you haven't told anybody yet. Maybe you lost a job and you haven't told anybody. Maybe you got into some credit card debt that you were unwise about and now you don't know what to do and you don't know how to tell your wife. There's ashes that we have as Christians that we need to go back to this verse and say, I will not be disappointed in Jesus even when there's other things. And he will heal. Let's go to the next slide. How will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace. I would like everybody to pick up one foot and put it in front of them. Take one foot and look at your toes or your, wiggle it a little bit. God says you have a beautiful foot or feet if you use those feet to spread his word. I mentioned my tool belt that I put down and Harlan mentioned it and I was glad he did. I never expected when I put that tool belt down in 1978 to pick it up again. And I never expected to pick it up for Jesus. But I have had the privilege of remembering and learning what I was taught back then to use it at the mission in the last three years. We've done a lot of remodeling, a lot of new projects what did Jesus teach you a few years ago? And maybe it hasn't been used in a while. Is he calling you to put on your breakup boots, wiggle those toes, and use those life skills in missions? The first, one of the first things we learned to do was talk. When God called Jeremiah, he said, I'm a youth. He had the same excuse Moses did. And God said, don't say that. I gave you a tongue. Use it. 
God doesn't tell us we have to be successful. He asks us to use it. And when you do, your feet are going to be beautiful. Now, if I showed you my feet with my shoes and socks off, my wife will tell you they're not beautiful. But God says they're beautiful. Let's go to the next slide. This is a picture at Cochran Hills Bible Camp on the Yukon River above Galena. Jesus gives us the command because of who he is. He is the Son of God, the one that redeems us, the one that changes us, the one that gives us a message, the one that gives us beauty instead of ashes. He says, go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. I want to thank you for praying for Mission Aviation Repair Center, for our staff, which are amongst you here. If you do nothing else but pray, you are doing the most important thing. Without prayer, a ministry cannot survive. And lastly, Justin's not here right now. He doesn't know I'm going to say this. When was the last time you prayed for him? Personally, you yourself, Lord, help my pastor. I wouldn't have his job for all the money in the world. It's tough. This church will not survive if you are not praying for your pastor. Then you can explode and go into all the world. I saw your missions list. It is magnificent. It is neat. But if you don't support the pastor, the missions will fall apart as well. God bless you. Thank you so much. It has been a pleasure being here. I know you support missions. I know you know Jesus. I hope this helped you to remember who this Jesus is.